The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic journey to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way. Sequel Quest is go for launch, so let the adventure begin now. Hello, and welcome to the final episode of Sequel Quest. The podcast where for six years we have pitched sequels, prequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Allow me to introduce you to our Sequel Quest crew. First up, it's the man who once pitched a sequel to Space Jam, using the plot from an opera called Falstaff composed in 1889. It's Jeff. That is me. Next, it's the man who once pitched a live-action Super Mario Brothers film starring Mark Ruffalo as Mario, Stanley Tucci as Luigi, and Nicolas Cage as Bowser. It's Jeremy. That is true. And I'm the guy who once decided that the best sequel to Field of Dreams would involve Kevin Costner fighting his way out of a demonic cornfield hellscape. I'm Adam. <laughs> Classic. Guys, it is hard to believe that it's been six years of getting together weekly, then bi-weekly, then monthly, then whenever we felt like it, to throw out fake movie ideas to each other and just talk about our love of these films or these genres, uh, just the nostalgia, the fun, the memories. Or lack thereof sometimes. Yes. For Jeremy, <laughs> very often. Yep, I'm watching it right now. <laughs> <laughs> But here are the stats, guys. I was going over this today, looking back at the history. We've recorded and released 103 main episodes, 35 sequel chat movie reviews, and 7 bonus interviews during the run of the show. I think that is a very nice archive. That is something that people can go back if you're just discovering the show now and it is the year 2050. You have all that to look forward to. Also, guys, we have a little bit of a history you know with the film jupiter ascending so i decided are we still listed where do we fall when it comes to jupiter ascending sequels and the news about them okay we are still on the front page we are the sixth option when you type in <laughs> jupiter ascending sequel and we have very similar results for other films that we have covered congo 2 uh, a congo sequel <laughs> we're right there on the front page surprisingly yeah so so movies that never should ever <laughs> never get a sequel, <laughs> a sequel. Um, we've done we, it we've done it we okay. will be the yep. definitive word on these films that's what it comes down to <laughs> john carter didn't did we do john carter we did do john we carter did do john Carter of Mars. Yeah, that should be up there. Yeah, I know. It seems like nobody even remembers that film to search for it. We're probably number one on that ranking. <laughs> But that's the thing, guys. So, you know, we had our 100th episode celebration. That was great. We had a lot of guests from the past that wished us well, and we've had so many great ones over the years. But, you know, after that 100th episode, we actually joined a network, the Retro Network. And what I find crazy is that since that time, it's been about two years, we have pitched sequels to Bird Box, Us, yeah. 
Can you imagine who may have suggested those titles, guys? Yeah. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Time Cop, John Carter, as Jeff mentioned, Shot of the Dead, Inception, The Page Master, Mac and Me, Maniac McGee, and Tiger Heart in a super duper episode. Plan 9 from Outer Space, The Wedding Singer, The Incredible Hulk, Flight of the Navigator, Mortal Kombat, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Biodome, Son in Law, Weird Science, Jerry Maguire, The Replacements, Johnny B good santa claus the movie don't tell mom the babysitter zed hackers forrest gump we've gotten into a feud with another podcast that had us imagining a sequel to wrestling movies ready to rumble and no holds barred in a competition to see who had the best sequel we even pitched a sequel to surf ninjas with an actual cast member from that original non-fake film <laughs> although some <laughs> may not believe it exists <laughs> so we've had quite an adventure here in the back half of the life of the podcast but do you guys have a favorite episode from that run or a memory from this final run well jeff why don't you explain to us why you chose bird box and us so a certain member of our team has a love for anything that came before 1989 and it's kind of a niche i've always found and so bird box at the time was the hot movie that everybody was talking about <laughs> so that was one thought is doing something that is very relevant and then there's also the thing too that is just kind of like as a good change of pace to talk about something i was thinking back to our entire run and one of my favorite episodes that we've done was on midnight in paris the woody allen movie yeah and it was it was different than some of our movies it wasn't as goofball and and some of our not that all the movies have been goofball but some of our pitches weren't all that goofball and, and I thought it's a nice change of pace. So to be able to do something like Us, which I still think about that movie. Like that movie really challenged me and stretched me. And to think about doing a sequel for that, I thought was stretching some different muscles. Yeah, well, and it should be mentioned also, you know, in the past, we had a couple year run where we were doing an Oscar special episode. Right. And we even tried to live tweet the Oscars at one point. And they were some very memorable Oscars. So we had some stuff to talk about. But that, again, that was definitely Jeff's influence of trying to say, hey, let's do something, you know, substantial, you know, movies that are popular and movies that maybe have a little bit more weight. So we definitely got some of that done. But how about for you, Jeremy? Is there anything that comes to mind? I mean, we've been all over the spectrum. We've touched on everything superhero wise from the Dark Knight to Burton Batman to the mask. We rebooted the DCEU. That was a fun one. We never got to those pitch a fourth Sam Raimi Spider-Man. That's one that I wish we could have found time for, especially in this era now that we're coming up on, you know, the No Way Home. Right. right. We even pitched our own Marvel Studios wish list. Then, of course, we have the Adam favorites like <laughs> Troop Beverly Hills. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. One well, for some reason, and again, I do feel like we went on a superhero kick, as the rest of Hollywood has as well. But for some reason, the Fantastic Four one stands out in my mind. I don't know if it's because of uncovering Jeremy's love for Josh Trank or <laughs> what it was, but it always sticks with me. Definitely became a running gag that if you can't <laughs> think of a director, Josh Trank is your Josh man. Trank. And I still maintain that's our worst episode ever. <laughs> 
it was mediocre. I mean, it was it was par for the course on some of our episodes. I mean, and I was looking back though. I can't believe how early that was. Yeah, you know, I gotta say for me, obviously, like getting Nick Cowan to talk surf ninjas. You know, to actually oh, pitch yeah. his sequel as somebody who appeared in that movie and then give us his behind the scenes experience. Like that was huge. Like for me personally, I just think that was kind of a fun high water mark for the show. Then capping off the Polly Shore trilogy, finally doing a son-in-law sequel. I think we had some wild ideas for that <laughs> making it a very meta film I, that was wonderful but i think you know if i point to like the the highest mountain that we climbed maybe just like the most entertaining episode that we put out in this last run for me it was definitely our hackers episode with eric coming back one last time and i was sad that jeff didn't get to show up for that one but i feel it'll go down as one of our greatest episodes our sequel to hackers i mean it just had the mix of like the wackiness the nostalgia and the camaraderie that i feel like this show was founded on was you know kind of encapsulated there and so eric was a good fill-in for jeff so it is unrelated to the fact that i wasn't there <laughs> right that's not right. why it was the best right that's absolutely okay okay because we could do this whole show all over again and bring eric instead of me like <laughs> equal quest 2.0 no no to me it was just like it was that last minute you know oh jeff's sick i guess we're gonna have to okay it's gonna work it's gonna work though and that energy carried us through but just you know looking back in general now just your feelings about participating in sequel quest of the podcast like what ultimately has the show meant to you guys just over these last six years well it's been a way to kind of scratch that creative itch that i've had ever since doing a little bit of radio exploring that creative side and it, and it gave me something to do when i didn't have time to do a lot of graphic design or creative stuff that way I could use my imagination and I mean, we took the Fast and Furious franchise to space three years before they did. <laughs> I mean, who's to say they didn't borrow some ideas there, Vin Diesel? Oh, they did. Oh, yeah, they and did. for those who don't know, I mean, that really has been Jeremy's superpower. I mean, initially, he was the guy who knew how to record something. And so it's like, great, Jeremy knows how to work a microphone. Jeremy knows how to work the software, right? But then also, he had this wonderful graphic design talent. So all our logos over the years, the majority of our show, art you know was created by him when it looked terrible that was me uh, <laughs> and when it looked awesome that was jeremy but that was just like it added another dimension to the show that i always just appreciated so much because man we may have been a you know a ragtag group just trying to get the word out about our crazy movie ideas but we always look top notch so that was 100 percent jeremy putting the website together and, and everything else so nice work sir how about for you jeff I mean, I feel like over the years, it's kind of changed because for the first year or however long it was when it was the four of us, it was right. Adam, me, Jeremy, and Justin. There was a big part of that that felt like me, Adam, and Justin kind of reconnecting, that we'd been buds throughout high school and beyond. And so we were kind of reconnecting over movies and stuff like that. And then bringing Jeremy in. And, and, I, and like, you know, no offense, but it did kind of feel like, Jeremy, you were a little more in the background of that because you didn't know the three of us like we knew each other right and then when justin left then it shifted a little bit and jeremy you came more into the forefront and then we had a bunch of different guests at various times that we got to know and got to you know understand what we're gonna get when we have michael Kennedy on what we're gonna get when you know judy comes on or eric and yeah so i i feel like the same thing that you were saying jeremy is that you know the creative dynamic back six years ago when not 
not everybody had a podcast. It was a unique thing that we were doing a podcast, I thought. For me, it was a nice chance just to talk to people about movies and and to be able to not just surface levelly just like did you like it or didn't you but let's actually talk about you know the the different dynamics in there and, and don't get me wrong so that's where some of the movies that I talk in Surf Ninjas I'm kind of like I don't see a lot or well no I take it back Surf Ninjas wasn't <laughs> the low point for me the tough one was <laughs> that Halloween movie with uh, Gene Trick Simmons or treat. yeah that was pretty <laughs> rough where I and I feel like several times in that episode I needed to stop and be like we all know this is a bad movie right <laughs> and i feel like there was this this frustration of like i feel like i'm the only sane person here so that was a little there were there were, there were challenges in there but i agree with you guys like you know the best part of starting a podcast just taking that idea and running with it for me you know obviously yeah that creative outlet but that dedicated time with an old friend and with a you know a new friend and then making many more friends along the way i mean it was a very special kind of person right who is obsessed enough with a movie to imagine the next installment and then be so connected to it that it was something like yeah i i, I could do that I, and so when we find those like-minded super fans like that has been very fun but then also you know realizing ultimately a few years into the run that our concept was never going to appeal to a wide audience you know mm. It made it, in a way, a special club, I felt like, for movie nerds that were creative to be a part of. And so I loved, like, yeah, just kind of our roster of returning guests we were able to bring back quite often. But I I feel like the creators of Mystery Science Theater 3000, they always said, the right people got it. You know, like, that that's what it came down to, is like, yeah, the right people will find the show and enjoy it. And it was also just personally, for me, been a real learning ground just for this medium. You know, I'd been recording myself literally since i'm six years old i had a tape recorder i'm doing fake interview shows i'm doing fake radio broadcasts all my life i was just sharing them with my son the other night he's like what did you sound like when you were my age i'm like well take a listen here kid because we we got plenty of it but then the sound engineering element and then the editing that i took over from jeremy after life got busy for him you know in his career and things like that so i started doing all the editing and that was important skill that that I so enjoyed actually putting the shows together that like figured out how do you, how do you promote the show on social media? And then the scheduling, oh, the scheduling, <laughs> you know, that can be tedious, but it's always worth the effort, right? It's like, once it finally comes together, once we all decide on a movie, you know, whatever it might be, I still love the concept of sequel quest. I could talk about it, you know, forever. I could pitch fake movies, but it just felt like at a, at a certain point, you know, we're running in place and it was just time to get off the treadmill for now get ready to uh you know take on new endeavors for all of us that we're pursuing but it's just it's been so special to always be able to come back to sequel quest to always have that conversation to look forward to and that fun and as always thank you guys for indulging so many of my whims and my taste in movies (laughs) because even when you didn't like it which was so often i really really enjoyed your commentary (laughs) 
Oh, I mean, <laughs> looking back, Adam, do you even remember this one? We sat down in a Denny's after leaving a theater and recorded our thoughts on Doctor Strange. Yeah, that was a super fun, wild episode. Just to that be sitting was. in a restaurant, it's like, we got to get our thoughts out now. <laughs> it's like, hey, waitress, uh, you want to join? Any thoughts? No. Okay. I mean, it ultimately, for me, sequel chat, being able to do sequel chat was huge for me because it was just a great excuse to go to the movies. It's like, hey, yeah, I got to record. Got to give the review of it. And so there's a lot of movies in there that, in addition to the superhero stuff, you know, we did like Blade Runner 2049, you know, like we yeah. did we did some, some other sequels that people might not have expected, you know. I think that was a very good run as well, having that uh, conversation with Colton on a regular basis. Fantastic stuff. And yeah, so despite the list that I read off earlier and the many others that we've done since the show started in October 21st, 2015, there are still movies we love that we haven't covered on the show. So Jeff suggested that we each reach into our hearts and find that movie we always wanted to create a sequel to, we always wanted to be the topic for an episode, and it just never happened. And if we got the sequel, prequel, or reboot in mind, that we could present it now as our final pitch. And so, Jeff... What came to mind for you? Well, for six years, I'm like, we haven't done this, right? Right? <laughs> Let's just do this thing. So it is Willow 2, which Ooh. I know there is a TV show that is coming out. Yes. However, I have to say, traditionally, I like to do whatever is out there. I'm going to adapt it to the screen. I didn't do that this time. One, because I'm not terribly excited about the direction they're taking the show. Because it doesn't seem like it's about Willow. It's about some other girl. But for me, Willow 2 takes place... 10 years after the events of Willow 1, and Willow is the new High Aldwin, the spiritual leader of his Nelwyn village. And the Nelwyn, if you're unfamiliar with the movie, is it's much like Lord of the Rings hobbits, where they prefer to be left alone. They don't like interacting with the Daikini, the big people. Uh, they just kind of do their own thing. But because Willow formed this bond with, of course, Mad Mardigan and Sorsha, uh, and also Princess Alora, they come to visit from time to time, and that's always met with hesitation from the, the rest of the Nelwyn. In fact, Burglecut has become the mayor of the Nelwyn town, and he proposes building a wall to keep the Daikini out. Willow opposes it, but Burglecut, for some reason, is always very popular, so he has more support. Meanwhile, again, this is ten years later, so Mims and Renon, Willow's children, are now, you know, late teens, something along those lines and they want to go see the world. I couldn't think of a less punny way of saying they're tired of this small world. Like, <laughs> And that's why I like small-minded people. Not as a pun because they're little, but just because Burglecut and those people like them, like, this is their world. This is all they care about. And that's not how Mims and Renan feel. Kaya opposes them leaving the, the safety of their town, but Willow supports it, so Kaya only agrees if they can be trained to be prepared for the outside world. So Mims decides that she is much more of a fighter and a warrior. So she, of course, gets Von Carr, the best warrior in the village, to train her. Renon, meanwhile, believes that he may have Willow's gift for sorcery. So Willow trains him. Uh, so that goes on for a little while. And then Burglecut gets wind of this and is outraged about this, like, you know, breaking of the, the traditions and all of that. So he starts 
a motion to remove Willow as the High Aldwin. Organizes a town meeting, is going to do all this. So before that happens, Mins and Raynon sneak out and take off. So they journey through the forest and in their journey, they run across a cottage and there's a strange but kindly old man invites them to stay for the night, you know, that sort of a thing. After they eat and fall asleep, who shows up but Rule and Frangine, the brownies, and they find that Mims and Raynon have been bewitched by this old man who is actually a wizard. So they wake them up using their fairy dust or whatever, free them, take them to their queen or whatever, Sherlendria. And Mims and Raynon tell her that about their desire for adventure, for something more. So Sherlendria tells them to go to Tira's Lean to seek out Alora, Mad Mardigan, and Sorsha, that there's more in store than they know, and they will be accompanied by, of course, Rule and Frangine. Again? So probably another couple of, like, random adventures. They still eventually make it to Tira's Lean, see Alora, Mad Mardigan, and Sorsha. And there is a regent named Bhutan, because Alora is still not old enough to rule. So until she becomes of age, Bhutan is ruling as the regent. But Mad Mardigan is not a fan. Kind of thinks he's shady and up to something. Plus, he's also growing tired of castle life. He misses his old life of mayhem or whatever he was up to. So meanwhile, uh, Bhutan advises that there is a conflict with the new king of Nakmar, and so sends Eric, who is now the general of the army, to go and deal with the new army of Nakmar. Mad Mardigan gets all excited to you know, taste adventure again, so he decides to take Mims and Renon to the front line. Sure enough, there is a battle, but the Mims and Renon, they end up kind of sneaking into the castle or in the confusion or something like that, and they figure out that Nakmar didn't actually in- initiate this conflict. It was all like a setup, and it seems like Eric was supposed to destroy like all of Nakmar. And they ultimately figure out that it was Bhutan that orchestrated all of this. So they go back to Tiras Lean, they confront him, he flees, and they find out that when he flees, he flees back to that cottage from the beginning where that wizard lives. And we find out that that wizard is actually the mastermind behind all of this, and that his ultimate plan is to bring back Bavmorda to reestablish the kingdom of Nakamura and take over the world or whatever, which results in a final fight. Mims has to fight Bhutan, who apparently is a great warrior or something. Maybe he conjures a, some, there's some sort of a fighting element. Meanwhile, Renon is the one that's fighting the wizard. Meanwhile, they're casting Bavmorda back. And so it kind of feels a little uh, Prince Caspian-ish where she almost comes back, but is stopped just in time. But they save the day by defeating both of them. And at the end, I think, I think the landing point is they realize that there's no place like home and they go home and decide probably Mims decides to run for mayor against Burglecut, <laughs> bringing peace back to the village and, and open mindedness. Well, how about it? And I do remember, yeah, Willow was definitely mentioned over the years several times, and we just never quite got it on the schedule. So I'm glad to see it finally came through. And I'm curious, I kind of lost track of Willow in that story. What was he doing? 
Well, Willow's only really in the beginning. That's what I thought. So he's basically, if you remember from the original movie, Billy Barty is the High Aldwin. He's like the wizard guy that picks or doesn't pick Willow to be his apprentice. So basically that's Willow now. So Willow stays in the village and the story is following his children. Okay. Well, cool, man. So, so that you're pretty much bringing back most of, you know, the familiar cast members that are still alive, I'm assuming. I don't know if we have to recast Burgle Cut if he was right. in there. Right. Well, if it's, if we shoot this 10 years later, which was my goal. Warwick Davis is still around. He's going to be in the new movie. So he's he's still around and kicking now. Yeah. Well, he was only like 18 when he made the movie. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. To do it 10 years afterwards, I would hope. Cause, and that was one thing I was reflecting on, too, that I really love about Willow. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of a heartbreaking thing. I was looking through some of the reviews. Willow still has a rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes. Really? Siskel and Ebert gave it two thumbs down. Like it, it, it was critically not well received. And for me, it's another, honestly, it's another one of those, like the postman where I get, if you don't think it's the most brilliant movie ever, but I don't, I know bad movies. We have covered several on this show <laughs> and I'm like, this doesn't feel like a bad movie. The dialogue, I mean, this is Val Kilmer's tour de force. Yeah. This and Doc Holliday are his two best performances. Warwick Davis is, this is his tour de force too. And that's a, that's a tall order for this to be his best performance. And I mean, even the comedy by, by Kevin Pollack and, and what's his name? That are the brownies. Coming, right? Oh, they're so good. And the score is great. And the biggest thing that I think I've most grown to appreciate, like you said, especially getting to actually know a little person in like, as a friend of mine, this is maybe the only movie I can think of that really celebrates or what's the word I'm looking for? There the heroes you know and and they're not oddities they're celebrated and and it's ultimately it's a very similar story to lord of the rings where lord of the rings the point is that the hobbits are the heroes is that the it doesn't matter how small you are you're the like you know everyone bows to them at the end of lord of the rings and it's the same thing with willow everybody bows to willow and celebrates him at the end but they actually use little people as opposed to elijah wood and just making him look small yeah exactly and i gotta say you know willow obviously i saw that as a kid many yeah. many years before i ever even heard of lord of the rings you know like i probably yeah. knew of the animated hobbit just tangentially but like willow is that definitive version of that type of story for me that's the one i go back and watch we own all the lord of the rings extended cuts because my wife (laughs) bought them i never bought them i saw them in theaters and i was done willow Mm -hmm. is endlessly more entertaining to me than the lord of the rings trilogy and especially the hobbit trilogy yeah oh well the hobbit one i mean it's much i'd say it's much tighter it's much less epic it's a different feel i don't know that i would say lord of the rings is charming and i feel like willow is charming mm-hmm. the stakes are still fairly high maybe not as epic and like sweeping as lord of the rings is and you know the action sequences pale in comparison i'm sure but yeah again i feel like it hits all the right notes and it and not only that even as i was writing this 
the one thing I really appreciate, especially today, is the names. Like, oh, and that was it was struggling. Burgle cut, and it's not Sasha, it's Sorsha. Right. And Mad Mardigan is his name. It's not Mad Mardigan. Mad Mardigan. It's all one word. Is his name and Bavmorda and Rule and. Well, Frank I mean, you G- gotta hand it to to Lucas. You know, that's his thing, right? It's like he creates these names that just stick with you. Although one might say that Star Wars, I'm not sure that Han Solo as the loner was his <laughs> most brilliant naming job. All right. Well, so guys, as I was preparing my pitch, you know, uh, I originally misunderstood Jeff's idea and I pitched three movies to myself on a long road trip. <laughs> and I was just like, what are the ones that we haven't done yet? Oh, no. Are you combining these? I am not. I am not <laughs> going okay. that route. But I, I will tell you that I went back to the original list to 15 movies I wrote on the back of a folded piece of loose leaf paper. One side is is my outline for the format of the show and then on the back I wrote 15 movies I thought would be good for our first 15 episodes. Wow. And there are five that we still have not gotten to. So uh, of the list, (laughs) The Goonies, we did it. Masters of the Universe, we did it. The Shadow, we did it. Congo, did it. Super Mario Brothers, did it. Rocketeer, did it. Roger Rabbit did it back to the future of course first episode the fifth element and actually you know what there's a sixth one that i forgot on the list and here it is it's the sixth sense wow the other five that i thought would have been great that never happened were a sequel to the 1997 spawn movie Mm. a sequel to the guyver one of my personal favorites a sequel to little monsters there was one more though that I just for whatever reason this is the one that you could do a reboot and they've tried several times and still failed but to me it's the movie Street Fighter <laughs> from 1990 I think it was the end of 94 but you know 95 we usually say that was just this universal constant of my video game experience growing up whether it was at a pizza parlor or a full on arcade or on the home console like you just you couldn't escape Street Fighter 2 And the problem with the original Street Fighter movie was that it took the characters out of a fighting tournament setting and it tried to shoehorn them into this rote action movie scenario. Plus, it wasn't even called Street Fighter 2, which is the iteration of the game that the fans cherish. So what I decided was my pitch is a reboot that keeps the premise of the game intact while justifying the Street Fighter 2 title as the beginning of a franchise. So... In an opening flashback, we learn that 20 years ago, a pay-per-view martial arts tournament called Street Fighter was held, pitting combatants with different fighting styles against one another. We see a montage of the tournament featuring familiar faces like Ryu, Ken, Giles, Zangief, Balrog, Sagat, E-Honda, and M. Bison facing off against one another. The championship bout is between Ryu and M. Bison, where Ryu seemingly throws the fight and is disgraced. Bison then goes on to become a three-time champion of the rebranded World Warrior Tournament, eventually buying the company and merchandising it into a multi-million dollar empire. Ryu, meanwhile, hid away in disgrace, became a gardener in Tokyo, and just occasionally uses his skills to defend the weak in his neighborhood from members of the Yakuza that are shaking them down. So, in the present day now, a fan of Ryu's from his hometown named Sakura has been investigating 
instigating the controversy as well as training with the fighter's friend Ken in their fighting style for many years, and she manages to uncover a video of a gangster named Akuma blackmailing Ryu before the fight, threatening the life of his friend Ken, forcing him to take a dive. Now, Sakura tracks down Ryu and tells him he should come forward with the story that they have to restore his honor, but the bitter Ryu refuses, saying it's in the past, his friend is alive, and that is enough. Undaunted, Sakura releases the video on her YouTube channel, and M. Bison finds himself the subject of suspicion and ridicule, but most of all, he is concerned with the potential damage to his cash cow. In reaction to the story, M. Bison makes an open challenge to Ryu to face him again in order to prove that Bison is the true champion. As part of an anniversary tournament called... Street Fighter 2. Unable to escape the attention from the media, Ken and Sakura's urgings, Ryu relents and agrees to the rematch, but Bison reveals that regulations require all fighters must have a fighting record to enter the tournament, so Ryu will have to qualify for the rematch. Behind the scenes, Bison begins his training, but is approached by Akuma, who is planning to bet on Bison again, and also wants to maintain the integrity of the World Warrior by injuring Ryu during the tournament so that Bison Bison will surely win. Bison refuses, saying he wants to win for his own honor, but Akuma threatens Bison's family, telling him to just play along. Sakura and Ken help Ryu trade for the tournament against old opponents from his first time around, who all try to help boost his confidence and provide tips, so we'll see a lot of familiar faces from the games. But initially discouraged, Ryu is soon reminded of his early training, where he would visualize his moves surrounded by a blue energy that gave him extra power. This is represented in his mind as these fireballs. Now, qualifying for the Street Fighter 2 tournament, Ryu faces a new generation of fighters like Fei Long, Cody, and DJ, with Sakura herself entering the women's division with Ken in her corner to face off against Kami and the reigning champion Chun Li. Sakura loses to the champion, but is honored by Chun Li during their bout and earns the respect of the revered fighter. Now, in the final bout, before his showdown with Bison, Ryu faces the masked fighter Vega, who has been paid off by Akuma to disqualify himself by injuring Ryu, which Vega does by locking the cage gate with a hidden cable lock and donning a clawed glove to slash Ryu while the officials frantically try to get the door open to stop him. Ryu's injuries ultimately are only flesh wounds, and as a result, Vega is assassinated by Akuma for his failure. This forces Akuma to hold Ken and Sakura hostage and demand that Ryu throw the fight again in a repeat of what happened two decades prior. Ryu agrees, but secretly has Guile, Balrog, and E-Honda rescue the hostages during the final fight. So Bison and Ryu have their bout and agree to one another to fight honorably. But Ryu ultimately defeats Bison with a three-hit combo of a double hand punch, a helicopter kick, and a spinning uppercut. Akuma is furious and rushes the cage with a gun, but Ryu disarms the gangster and then mystically actually summons a real fireball to land a final blow to his tormentor. Bison and Ryu shake hands as Ryu is raised up on the shoulders of his friends as the champion of Street Fighter 2. After the celebration, Ryu thanks Ken and Sakura but says that with his honor restored, he must journey alone, since the Yakuza will likely come for revenge. We see Ryu walk away with a duffel bag on his shoulder and a red headband and flapping in the wind as credits roll. Street Fighter 2. Nice. See, not even wacky. I just want to see a good Street Fighter movie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
No legend of Chudley. Come on. How do you explain Balrog? He, wasn't he like this like furry monster creature? You're thinking of Blanca. Blanca I specifically okay. left Blanca out. Bal- Balrog is the guy who is the boxer. Oh, gotcha. is he in Street Fighter 2? I thought yeah. he was in the Street Fighter 3. No, he's Street Fighter 2. And the thing is, what really? happened is in the translation of the game, M. Bison actually was supposed to be Mike Bison. He was supposed to be a stand-in for Mike Tyson, and that was going to be Balrog's name. (laughs) And Balrog is the name of the character that we call M. Bison, but because they didn't want to get in trouble with the licensing with Mike Tyson's name, they switched the characters' names when they brought it to the U.S., isn't that crazy? Little fun fact for you there. Interesting. But yeah, so uh, I don't know how to justify the fireball at the end, but everybody's going to want a fireball, and it'll just be a, right. a fist pump moment. So we'll accept it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that's what happens in Mortal Kombat too, right? Yes. He goes, yeah, at the very end. <laughs> he does an orange fireball and hits Shang Tsung onto the spike, so... Yeah, right. we can it accept works. it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, Jeremy, what have you got for us? I kicked around ideas on this, everything from, like, Richard Gere's The Double. Ooh. That was a good little spy thriller. Wow. But I eventually settled on Salt. Ooh, okay. I, I know we talked about it in between shows, but we never actually, ex- like, dived into this one. And for those who don't remember the film, give them a brief uh, reminder what it was about. Right. So CIA agent Evelyn Salt is actually a Russian spy, having been recruited and trained as a child. Her cover is exposed on what is to be the start of Day X, where multiple events are planned. The first is the killing of the Russian president, which made it look like the CIA did it, and Salt is framed. The second is the stealing of the atomic weapon football, and... They were planning on launching nuclear attacks on Tehran and Mecca as large numbers of people were present. And so Salt is on the run. We don't know if she's good or bad in this movie. Uh, She has a husband that's like mixed into this whole thing. The Russians get a hold of her as part of figuring out whether she's still on the Russian side or on the American side. They execute her husband in front of her. She doesn't flinch. But then once everybody lets down their guard she kills everyone and then she winds up in the white house in the underground bunker with another top cia agent her former partner who turns out to also be a russian spy and they go head to head trying to either launch the nukes or stop the nukes from launching and in the end the other Russian agent's cover is not blown, and thus he dies a hero, and Salt is arrested as the Russian spy. But at the end of the movie, the head of the CIA definitely gets into her head and is like, hey, I know you didn't do it, and you're not working for the Russians, but there is this list of other moles out there. We need you to find them. And then she escapes, quote-unquote, custody, and dives out of a helicopter, runs through the woods, And that's the last we saw of her. So in this Salt 2.0, last we saw when she was running through the woods, off on the hunt, tracking down the other Russian moles. We follow her quest across the, the country, starting with a Midwest montage, tackling and killing a few low level moles who've risen to power at the local level. Everything from PTAs to school boards to mayorships, even with news reports being used as transitions between clips telling the public narrative of a 
uh, mass serial killer out there that's been running around, but who's also been revealing that the victims that they've killed are actually Russian plants. Yet there's also a nationwide manhunt for both Salt and this mystery killer. As the movie progresses, she moves from local leadership on upward as she sweeps the country all the way, all the way up to the final stage of a female senator running for president and the current VP winding up trapped in a building together with Salt as she tries to clear her ledger by exposing the last moles that she knows of. Also, there's a renegade CIA leader who is the main villain hunting Salt who staged a job coup against Peabody and outcast him, but is a mole himself. He's attempting to have his squad storm the building to try to corner and eliminate Salt in order to clear his own ledger. But Peabody from the outside of the CIA has been working on the sly to help Salt clear the list, tracking down the moles, including tracking down the moles in the CIA and eliminating them himself where feasible up to and including the new CIA leader in a shoot 'em up knock 'em down drag out fight to the death while Salt goes toe to toe with the two high level spies in the building. Uh, will Salt prevail or is she dried up after years on the run and outmatched by two equally trained combatants? Well, of course, we find out she does indeed prevail, <laughs> is arrested again, and is patched up by now Pentagon Intelligence, where Peabody is running it because he's cleared his name by exposing the CIA head as a mole by catching the guy monologuing on live stream. Then with his cover blown, the agent had nothing to lose. Rage fights Peabody, opening him up to mistakes, and ones Peabody did not slack on taking advantage of and eliminating the threat. So Salt is then sent to a women's prison where her new assignment is to track down and root out the new female mafia that's been building with female assassins being trained up in prison. Wow. That's like the teaser for the third film? That would be the teaser for the third film. Okay. <laughs> The female mafia. Oh. I'm actually really surprised, Jeremy, because now that I'm thinking about it, you picking salt, I'm surprised you didn't somehow work that into your hackers sequel that that character was at, you know, grew up to be salt. Like that somehow, like that right. was the name she took on. It seems like something you might have done. There's still time. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so, wow. I mean, I don't think we could have picked three more different films Willow, right. Street Fighter, and Salt. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, honestly, that's a wrap on Sequel Quest. You know, I, I just feel like, really, again, we want to thank all of the guests who joined us over the years. I mean, the, the guests who have been with us just have really brought some very creative ideas, and some of them, like, extremely well thought out. You know, I, I had a reputation at the beginning for, you know, doing four and five page pitches. Um, <laughs> but I feel like we had uh, several people who had been thinking about the stories for so long. They, too, brought that much detail and enthusiasm to their pitches, so. That was quite a ride. But of course, also those of you who have just silently listened and laughed along with our nonsense, we appreciate you as well. You are definitely on our minds. You know, somebody out there is going to get this one. Someone out there is really going to like it. Come on. We are very grateful for the 30 of you hardcore fans, yeah. friends, and family. Yes. Who've kept our numbers steady. 
(laughs) (laughs) And to commemorate this, actually, one of the things that I am doing is that I am retiring the microphone that I've used to record the show for most of its run. (laughs) I finally upgraded and bought a new one that I I will use in my endeavors going forward. So this will be my Sequel Quest microphone. It may go in the Sequel Quest Museum someday. I'm sure someone will erect it. They will contact me. Where is that microphone? (laughs) And Jeremy, I have some equipment to return to you. Right. Oh. Back in the early days of the show, Jeremy, we had quite a complicated setup that we used to record in person together, but then also separately, I was recording in a closet, and you right? just like all these different wires and cables and consoles. And so, are you you're not in a closet anymore? I'm no longer in a closet. I I've actually really? had my own office for you know the last few years of the show, which has been very wow. nice. But now we have to tell people where can our listeners find us going forward jeff how about you so for one my job job is i'm a youth pastor at baseline community church so if you are interested in what that looks like i do have uh, my messages on youtube you can check that out baseline student ministries but i do also have a new podcast that i started with my friend greg where we talk about star trek so it is called Trekology, and it's available on hopefully everywhere that you find your podcast. Yes, and it, I do recommend it, guys. Trekology, it's a very, very fun show. Even if you're not a Star Trek fan, the conversations they get into kind of go beyond Star Trek. You know, it's kind of like just, just thoughts and ideas and what Star Trek can lead you to. So the discussions are, are fantastic over there. But Jeremy, what have you got going on? Well, uh, those of you who like fantasy baseball or are Arizona Diamondbacks fans, we have a couple different podcasts for you. The Snake Bitten podcast. We've attempted a couple times. We're looking forward to the 2022 season, as 2021 was not good at all. Um <laughs> I feel like Jeff needs to cross over and be a guest on, on one of these podcasts. Uh, I'm going to try and be welcome. He, a, he's a Dodger fan. Effects. I know. Yeah. I know. I'd, I'd probably laugh most of the time. Let's be honest. Let's be right. honest. <laughs> right. So there is Snake Bitten for those Diamondback fans. Also, Fantasy Baseball. We are the Fantasy Front Office. Uh, We are available just about everywhere. We kind of took a hiatus. Everybody had a little ups and downs with COVID and job changes and scheduling. And the four of us, it was it was a little tough to get all together on the mics the last year or so. But for those of you who have been following Sequel Quest and have been followers of our sequel chat discussions, Colton and I will be continuing that in another form or fashion here shortly. Obviously, we're going to do Spider-Man No Way Home is probably our first episode. So of the relaunch, maybe under a new name, we'll see. We're, We're still in discussions here. So we'll probably post the first episode here and then tell you where to find the the new stream and and we'll we'll keep you up to date on what's hitting the theaters and whatnot because I've been paying for an AMC Stubbs uh, premiere pass so I need to go hit the theater more often so and your dog is saying hey hey you gonna bring me along hey I want to see right. that way home hey. 
All right. Well, that's fantastic. I am still very involved with the Retro Network on the podcast front here. In the realm of movies, you can find me on Season 2 of Rental Return, Tales from the Video Store, where I interview former video rental store employees about their experiences, and man, are they wild, especially in Season 2. So if you haven't heard Season 1, go back and check out that collection of uh, stories, but this time around, it's even wilder. But I will tell you that my main focus these days is Wizards, the podcast guide to comics where we re-examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine. It is a show that only exists because of Sequel Quest and the fact that my co-host on Wizards, Michael Kennedy, that Jeff mentioned earlier, listened and guested with us multiple times here. And honestly, I think Michael would rather be doing Sequel Quest than Wizards <laughs> because he loves movies just a little bit more than comics. And, uh, and so he's always like steering it into movie conversation on the shows. But our podcast, Multiverse, will continue to expand as Jeff will be joining me for an episode of Wizards in the near future to talk about his comic book collecting experience in the 90s. And Jeremy has been our man in the chair behind the scenes on that show since the beginning. So we are all still collaborating in different forums and different projects. Uh, we're not parting ways in any way. Just, uh, you know, meeting here on sequel quest that will just be a fond memory that we hold on to and cherish and will sequel quest someday get its own sequel well for now that is a question left to our imaginations so you think podcasts are your friend you merely recorded the podcast i was bored by it I didn't listen to the podcast until you pitched a sequel to Encino Man, and by then it got nothing from me but teeth grinding. <laughs> I was wondering what would break first. Your microphone? Or your hobby? <laughs> That's it. That's the comedy. <laughs> <laughs> we may not even use that. You guys give me the up or down vote on that. We thank you for listening to this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to continue the fake movie fun on social media. Submit your ideas for future episodes to sequelquestpod at gmail.com or sqpod on Twitter. The films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network. <laughs>